Live from the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island, it's Cofield and Company. Hockey game tonight, 5 o'clock. Puck drop. Knights. This hockey season's weird, is it not? Candy, when, uh, I mean, just like the, the Mountain West Conference playing that two-game and three-day set, it, it feels like we're getting a lot of, uh, you know, four-game and seven-day sets with the Knights. I love it. I think it's a great way to do things. Uh, reduces the travel. I think the divisional rivalries become more interesting. You know, you have a situation like what happened with Washington and Boston a couple days ago where Tom Wilson goes full Tom Wilson and delivers another blow to the head. I absolutely want to see the Caps and the Bruins get right back out there again next time and see that bad blood boil up. That's exactly what hockey is good for. So uh, if, if it's the Knights playing four and seven, or if it's the Coyotes and Blues doing what they did last month and playing seven consecutive games against each other. It's time for the three presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Headlines at 3 o'clock, uh, A.J. Bouye is visiting the Raiders. Is that a guy you're interested in? He's 29. He played seven games last year, was uh, dinged up with the Broncos, was part of one of the great defenses recently with the Jaguars of a couple of years ago. What do you think? If you're the Raiders, why not when it comes to cornerbacks? Take a chance on what was a talented guy at some point. Bring him in, see what he's, see what he's got left. It, what do you have to lose, right? If you're the Raiders, what do you have to lose bringing in a guy with the talent, with the experience being on the kind of defense that he was when you're trying to get Arnett and uh, and the rest of that uh, secondary up to speed? What do you think the Raiders are going to finish up here in terms of the haul on defense? Is it going to be a lot of value guys and bargain basement flyers? Because if Bouye was to sign, we're talking about trying to Work reclamation projects like Tack McKinley, Vic Beasley, David Irving, A.J. Bouye. How do you think this will end up? Will they have a couple of big t- ticket items on defense, or is it going to be these reclamation projects and then a you know a bunch of guys in like the four to six million dollar range? If you're talking about the secondary, I think you're talking about reclamation projects, right? Because Mike Mayock and John Gruden believe in the fact that they've spent a second and then a first on Trayvon Mullen and Damon Arnett and that they just have not been able to see the two guys on the field enough together to know what they have. So I don't think you're going to see any sort of real spending when it comes to cornerbacks. And honestly, Steve, why would you? Free agent cornerback signings just about never work out. Like from the Asante Samuel days and the Nandi Amsonwa and all these guys who have signed big contracts as free agents, they rarely work out. If you see the Raiders go out and spend money this year, it's going to be exactly what John Gruden has said. Pass rushers are hard to find, and there are a lot of pass rushers out there when it comes to getting a good defensive end who can get to the quarterback like that guy they traded away four years ago. So you're out on Richard Sherman? I don't think that's the first place that a team that has potential cap issues needs to focus. Especially with some of the money that PFF was predicting. Uh, pro Football Focus, and we're going to talk to George Shiruri in just a little bit from pff.com when they did their predictions for free agent landing spots they had sherman landing with the raiders i think the bonus was like 15 mil and it was like a two-year 28 million dollar deal if i recall correctly i'll go back and look at it but i when i saw it i was like wow that seems kind of high 
that's a big guarantee when it comes to a position <laughs> that the Raiders have invested significant draft capital in, right? This team needs to take every asset that it has and look at edge defenders, and I know you and I are going to talk about this later, but I think there's an offensive position they need to spend some money on as well. Well, in the NBA, reclamation projects, the uh, the attempt is made there. My Nets, lifelong Nets fan. Oh, yeah. I like collecting the stars, but I wonder what does Blake Griffin have left? So what does Blake Griffin have left? I think he's got enough to become a key second-unit guy for this team. Yeah. I think that's, that's what you have to do is set your expectations realistically. And I said this on VEASAN last week. The realistic expectation for what you're going to get out of Blake Griffin is Carmelo Anthony. And Carmelo Anthony has become a very useful rotation player for the Portland Trailblazers. Now, he's not going to score like Carmelo Anthony, but... Blake Griffin, at this point of his career, a guy who was basically averaging like 12-7 and 7 in Detroit and looked like he would have done anything to get out of that city, now gets his release, gave back, if I believe, either 12 or $13 million on his contract. Imagine that. He gave back a dozen million to get out of Detroit. I think he's going to walk into Brooklyn. I think he's going to be a key second unit guy, especially in the Eastern Conference that doesn't have the kind of depth that everywhere else does. I think you can bring, it, bring in Blake Griffin plan on playing him 15 to 20 minutes a night and let him mash when it comes to beating up on second unit defenders in the east i'm into it i'm into it i think he realizes what he is now you know i think we all realize what he is considering he hasn't dunked since 2019 (laughs) that's crazy it happens man guys get old guys get old says you yeah not, not around here. I, I, not not, not, oh, right? not, you're, not you're, with you're, this temple of a body we got going on over here. No siree. No, I, I am, uh, I am no older than I was five years ago. <laughs> nope. All right, so what do we got in terms of storylines going into the uh, game against the Wild tonight? We got a couple of uh, the big VGK stars who were iffy for the tilt. So we saw Mark Stone come off the ice at the end of the second period for the Golden Knights against the Stars, and it wasn't really a game where they needed him. They dominated San Jose. But now Pete DeBoer says it's a game-time decision on the guy who was first star of the week in the NHL last week. And it's not just him. Now Alex Petrangelo is apparently also a game-time decision. He took a shot off his hand in that last game on a shot block. He's game-time decision. And Braden McNabb, who the Golden Knights have been without for the better part of a month, could come off IR tonight as well. So, I mean, they are just beaten up on that decor, trying to get guys healthy and trying to get, finally, the first six guys they expected to see out on the ice at some point this year. And we just saw last week with this wild team, you're going to need the full complement against Minnesota. This is one of the more surprising good stories in the NHL. Yeah, what do you think about the wild in terms of the matchup head-to-head against the Knights? Overall, I don't think this is the best matchup for VGK. Uh, this is a wild team that seems to be in the right position, making the right plays. They're not as talented top to bottom as the Golden Knights are, but then again, there aren't many teams that are. Cam Talbot and Capo Kakinen give them a really good one-two in goal that's going to make life difficult for the Golden Knights. And I think what we saw, that second period in the first game between VGK and and the Wild, in which the Wild scored all four of the goals they would ultimately score in that game. They had back-to-back sequences where they took advantage of Golden Knights' mistakes. Both of their goals were scored in pairs less than a minute apart. The Golden Knights cannot be 
comfortable against a team that takes advantage of mistakes because over their last 10 games, the Corsi 4 for this team, their ability to drive the play is in the middle of the pack in the league. They just happen to be matched up against one of the worst divisions in the NHL, and it's teams like the Wild that will give you a real measuring stick. Getting ready to leave work? Well, this is a good spot to watch a game tonight. It is a uh, 5 o'clock puck drop. The Knights are at the Wild. Here is Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside the TI. You can go right into the garage. The parking's free. You come down the escalator. You're uh, just a few feet away from coming into one of the best sports bars in all of Las Vegas. They got a $5 draft special going. You got a uh, buy the beer and get the collector's cup special. Awesome menu. You can take advantage of the uh, bases loaded nachos, or you can not take advantage of it. I, I, it doesn't matter to me how you eat them. I would take advantage of it. They're delicious. The the uh, Bison Burger is awesome. This is a tremendous spot. You can come on down for any of these Golden Knights games. And tonight we've got a puck party going on down here. 5 o'clock is the beginning of the game as the Golden Knights take on the Wild. And you can watch it all at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside the TI. Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. I just like every weekend throughout the year, we come out with plenty of NFL news to get to free agency, rumors, Raiders information. We were just talking about a visit from uh, AJ Bouye that's going down today. Looking at the Raiders, George Shuri covers the NFL like no one else at Pro Football Focus. That was cheesy. How you doing, George? I'm doing well. I appreciate that. I'll take that compliment. Yeah, why not? Why not, right? Uh, let's, I don't know, are we going to finish up the Russell Wilson rumors, or are we, like, right in the middle of this thing still? Uh, what's the deal with Russell Wilson now? And I know on the uh, PFF forecast you guys were talking about the Bears possibly putting something together. How could the Bears actually get it done? I, I during the podcast, convince myself that they can't <laughs> not only because so my co-host um eric eager does a very nice job of talking about the you know lack of capability that certain organizations have and the bears have, have proven to uh, have that but i think there's a bigger issue which is that they can't really offer the seahawks a reboot at quarterback and the reason for that is the seahawks don't have their first round pick next year and the Bears have 20 this year. So, and, and the Seahawks don't have a first-round pick this year either. So I don't see a way for the Seahawks to get draft capital to move up or to tank next year and get a, a good quarterback. So I just have a hard time believing the Seahawks will look at whatever the Bears offer and go, yeah, that's better than just going out and, and finding more people to make Russell Wilson happy. So... Um, I just don't see it happening. I feel very strongly that, that Russell Wilson is going to stay in Seattle. It's one of the reasons that I like betting the Seahawks to win that division. I, they're the third favorite. I think they were three to one last I checked. Because um, I, I just I just don't see a path for him to go anywhere that's more appealing than staying in Seattle. George, I guess I just don't understand how we've even gotten to this point with Russell Wilson. Like you look at the Houston situation, and it's pretty clear how Deshaun Watson has gotten to where he is. But how have we let it get to the point with Pete Carroll, with Russell Wilson, the offensive philosophy of this team, that we're even talking about Russell Wilson potentially being traded? 
Yeah, man, I, it's so funny. I think this is like maybe the most passive, aggressive trade demand in history, you know, but I think that is also a sign of year after year, there has been this undercurrent of Russell Wilson is a top five, top three quarterback. And on the Seahawks side of things, they treat him, they, they almost treat him like Jimmy Garoppolo, where it's like if he throws 40 times, we're totally screwed. You know, we, we cannot leave our quarterback out there to win the game. We have to make sure he doesn't lose it. And I think finally, I think Russell has become, honestly, more aware. Uh, now, I don't think he's the most self-aware player in the NFL by any stretch, but more aware of things that are going on and, and what people are saying. And I think finally he said to himself, look, I am such a big star. Other quarterbacks are doing this. Why can't I advocate for myself to be this good of a player and have them support me? And, and honestly, he has more power than Pete Carroll. So I think he is right to try and leverage it as wonky of a way as he is doing it with, you know, the non-trade demand, trade demand. It felt like it was, I, I believe, either week eight or week nine last year when they played that game against the Cardinals, the wild one where Russ threw three interceptions, and Pete Carroll kind of yanked the reins back on the horse and went, okay. That's enough of the let Russ cook. Like, let's get back to be playing, air quotes, Seahawks football. So I guess I don't necessarily understand why, organizationally, if Russ has more power than Pete Carroll, as you're saying, and I agree with you, why do we consistently see them treat Russell Wilson as, I don't want to say like a complimentary option, but certainly not the focal point of the offense? I, I really think it is about, like, at the end of the day, you know, football philosophy. And it's why, look, I, I took a lot of heat for this um, right after the season ended. I said that the Seahawks should look for a new head coach. And it has nothing to do with, I personally think Pete Carroll is one of the coolest guys in the NFL. I love Pete Carroll. Um, but at the end of the day, you need a philosophy that's forward-looking, not one that's, that's you know stationary or backward-looking. And one of the things that I saw the Seahawks do is they just didn't adjust. So the, the Buccaneers got into a rough patch. And what did they do? They adjusted, right? They started running more play action. They started throwing more on early down. Um, they figured it out with their passing offense. And they won the Super Bowl. The Seahawks need to figure it out with their passing offense because that's how every team in the NFL wins. And they need a better second option. They need to have diversity in their receiving options. They had DK Metcalf and then Tyler Lockett, who's really a three. They have a bad offensive line. So, like, for you to expect Russell Wilson to be Herculean is one thing. For you not to put an environment around him that supports his superhuman powers, that's on you. And they didn't do that. They didn't have a creative offense with multiple weapons, and they never adjusted. It was something that the Super Bowl champions did, and I think the Seahawks need to figure that out. And it's right for Russell Wilson to call them out on it although I think he could probably do a better job of being very, you know, straight and to the point. Um, but he's doing it the way he wants to do it. George, how much longer do the Bears mess around with this Wilson stuff? And then when they're out of the Wilson Derby, who are they going to turn to? Man, great question. I, I would, if I were the Bears, I would be looking at trying to trade up now in the draft because you look at this quarterback class, like, there are five quarterbacks in this class. But next year's class, 
man, it, it could be way, way worse. And so I just don't think you wait. I, I think you look to see, look, they have pick 20. They do have some other assets there. Maybe you can find a team that isn't thinking quarterback that you can move up with and grab Trey Lance or Mac Jones, though I, I do think both those guys go in the top 10 easily. I would explore that. And then secondarily, I would say, look, I just got to find a guy with some potential for growth that could be good as a bridge quarterback. And the reason that you do that is they're legitimately a good team. Teddy Bridgewater with this Bears team, they're, they're a very good team. They're an above 500 team. And so I think that's the order of operation. Get a young guy this year or pivot to a very good mid-tier veteran. I think Teddy B., Cam Newton, um, Jameis Winston, if you could get him, fit that bill. George Rory is with us. PFF.com is pro football focus. PFF forecast is one of their great podcasts. You guys were guessing at over-under win totals in the NFC North. I'm curious about both the Vikings outcome and the Lions. What did you guys come up with? Yeah, well, I'll start with the Lions. I just I have a hard time seeing the Lions not stink. Uh, they won five games with Matt Stafford, and now they have Jared Goff and I, I think a very confused organization in terms of whether they think they're going to be competitive or not, potentially losing Kenny Galladay, one of the best receivers in the NFL. So I guess I said three and a half. Uh, my buddy Eric Eager was much more compassionate, went with four and a half. I do think that the Vegas number probably lands uh, closer to his. Um, I'm not betting over. I'll tell you that right now. Um, and then with regard to the Vikings, I think it's fascinating because, um, you know, they won seven games last year. They're probably not going to make a move at, at quarterback. But I don't know if Kirk Cousins can have a better year than he had last year. So we both ended up at eight, eight and a half. Um, and I, I am probably not betting over there, as crazy as it sounds. What I would do is I would look to bet them to win the division at like four to one. I think that's the better kind of payoff. Um, if they were to happen to beat their win total, obviously they have a shot at winning the division. Um, so that's why I would look to there in terms of those two things. George, when we talk about the quarterback situations throughout football, something you mentioned a moment ago about five quarterbacks in this draft, and you and I talked a couple of weeks ago on VEASAN about four and a half being the number for how many would get drafted in the first round. Well, and that has now moved out to a ridiculous price of – basically 6-1 to one, uh, to have five quarterbacks drafted in the first round. Seth Galina's most recent mock, I believe, had them all gone by 9. You guys had your mock. You guys had them all gone by 12. So where do you think the floor for Mac Jones ultimately is then, who has been fairly widely consensus, the, the number 5 guy among them? Yeah, okay, so... I have it on pretty darn good authority that there's at least one person at one team that thinks there's no way he gets past six. Wow. Um, that Mac Jones. Um, now, I tend to agree that he is not making it past 12. I think 17 and a half as a draft position is patently absurd. Um, and the reason I think that is that if you look at the base characteristics of a quarterback, accuracy, understanding, you know, reads, being smart. He's not as immobile as people make him out to seem, you know, like it just because he's being compared to Justin Fields and Trey Lance and Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence. Like he looks not very mobile. Um, but I think after the evaluations are done, 
he's going to score really well in the stuff that makes most quarterbacks good. And that is going to be appealing to so many teams now that are looking at it and going, if I am overpaying a decent quarterback, I'm in hell. And I think that is going to make it even more appealing for someone to jump up and grab Mac Jones. So I, I think five is the four in terms of number of quarterbacks. I could even see Heck Kellen Mond going in the first round. I know Chris Sims, who we're going to talk to on the forecast on Wednesday, loves Kellen Mond and excited to hear what he likes about him. Um, and I think other teams, you know, I think there are teams out there that will value what Kevin Mond brings to the table. Um, and, and I think for Mac Jones, look, I, 12 is probably the four for him. Maybe you could stretch it out to 14 with the Vikings, who should be looking at quarterback, but I just don't see him getting past 12. I would snap, if you can find 17 and a half still uh, as, a, as a draft pick prop for Mac Jones, I would grab it at what, you know, whatever the limit is, basically. Yeah, right now, uh, DraftKings has 15 and a half still up. And, and oh. the ju- but wait, the juice is even on both sides. It's 112 both ways. Okay. Like, that feels like the lock of the century. I'm still going under. Now, clearly yeah. they've listened to the BFF forecast, you know, since, <laughs> we, uh, since we went on there last night. But here's another thing that I'll add. I was doing some prep for the podcast, and you should shop around. You know, there's so many sports books out there now. First off, you should shop around, and because limits on draft props are low, if you want to get more money down, you know you should be waiting for the prices to move in your favor. With this one, I don't think it's going to move in your favor if you're looking to bet under, but I bet you can go find some stale lines in some places at different sports books and, and try and grab those up. Um, because with draft props, there's way more volatility. I saw Zach Wilson in some places as like minus 180 to be the second pick, and in some places, close to minus 400. So you can find, you know, some edges there in draft props where you can't with normal, you know, betting on spreads and totals. So that's why I love the draft. You know, first off, it's a ton of fun. But secondly, betting on it is way more fun than I think a lot of people give it credit for. You've got one more that I, I wanted to mention, and I love it based on the philosophy of how this guy would fit in on an NFL team. But I know you guys were talking about first running back drafted, Javante Williams sitting there right now at uh, plus 700 to be the first guy. Of course, Travis Etienne and Najee Harris are the favorites, but he certainly seems to have, does Williams, the profile of the guy that NFL teams are looking for right now. Yes. uh, Eric made a really good point. He He doesn't have a ton of tread on the tires. He makes people miss. He can catch the ball. He has a lot of those things where you go, look, if he's in the right situation, Alvin Kamara, wink, wink. You know, and I'm not saying that's his comp, but like from an environment perspective, you could see a team that has a good environment valuing the things that he does well, um, you know, and, and taking a flyer on him. Look, I think, you know, there's a reason he's seven to one. I would probably, I would also consider betting Najee Harris at like plus 100 because I think teams will also talk themselves into him. But I'll say this flat out like, I'm not taking a running back in the first round. There's no way. And I would, t- like, if I had to pick a running back first, um, you know, I-, I would take Javante Williams just because of all the things he does. We know breaking tackles translates. We know that wiggle translates. And it's really important that guys on the rookie contract, especially running backs, are not getting injured because that's when they're most valuable. You don't want to sign them to a second contract. So um, I- I'll-, I'll drive the Javante Williams hype train because it's going to be a fun one to be a part of. Last couple things with George Shiruri, PFF.com. Get up there. You can always get uh, packages, uh, well, 
for as low as like 30 and 40 bucks for the year. You've got a higher level packages. The information is insane. There's always uh, seemingly always a special up there as well. And you got to have this for the NFL draft. You hear, you know, if you're a better, you're going to want to have it. If you're just a football fan who stays away from the bets, NFL draft preview, like uh, nowhere else, pff.com. Let's get back to uh, a little bit of free agency. Gabe Jackson's going bye-bye from the Raiders. How competitive a market do you think it'll be at the guard position uh, one for Jackson and the kind of money he can make elsewhere, and for the Raiders trying to fill the gap. Man, it's going to be first off. This free agency is going to be something. So you know, as much as following the draft is, is tough to do, and PFF will help you do that. Following free agency is also going to be a challenge, and I would very much recommend going to PFF.com because we have the top 300 free agents, and what you can do is you can look at. As people become free agents, what our cap specialist, Brad Spielberger, thinks about, you know, the type of kind of money that these guys will generate. Here's the thing. There are going to be a ton of valuable players at positions that are not super glamorous, like guard, that are going to be available because of all the cap casualties. So what the Raiders are doing is saying, look, where can we save money, even if we're going to have to re-sign guys that aren't quite as good, you you that's a smart thing to do. So um, I, I don't think that the market is going to be super hot for interior linemen because of the fact that there's going to be this collapsing. And so the more valuable positions are going to be the ones that, that people are going to gravitate towards. It's a bunch of wide receivers, some tackles, um, even some corners that are out there. So I, I do think that it's the right move. And I just, even though Gabe Jackson is a really solid you know, interior offensive lineman, I just don't think that the market is going to be super hot for him given how compressed everything's going to be this year. George, what should the Chargers do with Mike Williams? His option's up. He's owed like 15 mil. It would make him, I think, a top 10 uh, per year wide receiver. What do they do? They uh, they try to extend him. They let him walk. They take their chances in free agency. What do you do? It's a very good question. I So I would not extend early. Um, and that's kind of been my, that's been our take at PFF, especially with looking at quarterbacks. You know, you, you have that, that extra year for a reason. Um, Mike Williams is a guy who has, you know, the ability to grade in the top 10, I think, at, at, you know, in his range of outcomes. But ultimately, he's probably settling in in that 15 to 30 range as far as wide receivers go. Um, so I would look to see how this year goes, particularly with a new offensive coordinator and Justin Herbert. Seeing how that pairing meshes, what type of receivers do you want to invest in to make uh, him go and, and get the best out of Justin Herbert? So I would wait this year out and see how that offense looks and decide whether you want to pay Mike Williams that type of money. And you might find, hey, actually, he's not going to fit with exactly what we want. We'll let him walk. Or it's the perfect fit, and then you'll pay him. And I think you look to pay him, you know, not not necessarily top 10, maybe, maybe 12 to 15 if that's really how well he plays next year. Because um, I think he can be good, but he's not great. George, thank you. Anytime, guys. Be well. There he is, George Sharuri from PFF.com. If Williams were available, Candy, should the Raiders make a run at him? Big 6'5 dude. Doesn't always stay healthy. What do you think? It's not the profile I want for the Raiders right now. It Why just not? isn't. It's too boomer bust. Everything they have is boomer bust other than Darren Waller. Like I, I just don't want a guy who 
despite the fact that, like George just said, there is top 10 ability there. He's a great deep ball guy. It just never comes together for 16 games at a time, and the Raiders can't afford that. I want Candy on the way back to give us some more of those draft prop numbers. I am ready to bet you, my friend. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. So we just got done talking to George Shiruri. Some uh, free agent talk also. NFL draft prop bet discussion. Hmm. So I love tracking this over-under quarterback number each year, Candy. So you're telling me out of the market at DraftKings, it's set at four and a half. And explain why they won't move off the number. There, look, the, the number is so locked at this point because who's the sixth guy? I mean, George Shahuri just made a very good point to say Kellen Mond, because there's such a history of quarterbacks getting better when they get away from Jimbo Fisher, could jump into the first round. But really, you've got Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones so locked in that what would be the the benefit in moving to five so everybody ends up pushing or going to five and a half in which you're just going to get nailed on the other side of this. So right now you're looking at four and a half at minus 590 and under four and a half at plus 400. Well, I guess moving it to five and a half would actually get some action, right? Isn't, yeah. it, kind of a, isn't it kind of a dead bet now unless you're like me and I guess you're so – Set on betting under, you still do it at four to one, which, by the way, at minus five ninety sucks. I mean, over, look, if you're going to bet the over four and a half at minus five ninety, I, I don't think you're going to lose. Put it that way, I, I don't really see any way in which you're going to lose. So again, you have to have the money to stake on that to make it worth your time. Uh, but if you go to five and a half, I think that they probably would have to put it right now at such a risky price that they would stand to lose pretty badly if someone did trade up into the first round. Wow. This kind of takes one of the best bets of the first round out of play. Should they have set it at 5.5 from the get-go? I think if you set it at 5.5, the action is going to be almost entirely one-sided. Um, you know, I think at least at 4.5, when this first went up, there was some question as to whether Mac Jones was a first-round pick or not. But as draft hype season has gone on and mind you we're only at march 8th the mac jones to the first half of the first round hype train has already left the station and you just heard george say that there are some people who insist he won't get past six so i on mac jones uh over which means he gets past the 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 pick number that's set i need to wait (sighs) this is interesting i mean are, are, are people who haven't put up numbers yet because you said Mac Jones right now is a standalone on a place like DraftKings. Like, they don't have, you know, we're not going to do Trevor Lawrence, but they don't have Justin Fields, they don't have Trey Lance, they don't have any of those guys yet? The only one that's up at the moment is Mac, Fee- uh, Mac Jones, but it's Mac Jones over under 15 and a half, and the, ju- the juice is standard. Like, I-, I think if you're looking at what's been happening right now, Mac Jones would have to do something terrible. He would have to put on the Laramie Tunsil gas mask to not end up above 15. I don't see any way short of him getting hurt or doing something insanely stupid that he lasts past 13 or 14 in that draft. So 
you know, right now, I don't think you do wait on that because I don't see where that number goes the other direction. I think that number is going to shorten up to, you know, thir- 12 or 13. Yeah, I screw it up every time. I, I want to whatever, – whatever is the best number inside of, like, 12, 11, 10, 9 that I can get on Mac Jones, I want to say he's going after that selection. If that's what you want, if you think he's yeah. going after a dozen, yeah, yeah, then definitely wait. All right. Damn, you pre- you seem pretty sure of yourself. I was going to bet you at the fifteen and a half. Hey, no, no, you don't need you don't need to bet me at fifteen and a half. Hey, listen, there's, I, <laughs> I I do not have I do not have the written out ledger. I haven't talked to Nevada gaming regulators about this uh-huh. yet, but there might still be an outstanding bet between the two of us right now. And hey, what so, is it? I believe at one point during the NFL playoffs, someone might have wagered with me over whether the Chiefs would make it out of the AFC. Damn, I did. Did I do that at even money? I believe you did. All right. Well, just tell me the terms and I'll get you money. Oh, oh, yeah. No no problem. It's got multiple zeros. No. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's big. It's big. You're going to you're gonna need a payday loan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I hear you on the 15 and a half, though. I like, you, do you – all right, so then if you think that – let's say it's 12, let's say it's 13. You think that Mac Jones, the hype has gone too far. I think the hype's gone too far on everyone. I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet the what, whatever later in the draft on every quarterback. Okay, so let's just put outside, some hypo- outside of Trevor Lawrence. All right, so let's put some hypotheticals on it, right? Right. So if if we put Zach Wilson at three and a half, mm-hmm. you think Zach Wilson will go after pick three? Like I said, I will take every. I will take every one of them. Give me, like, the next seven guys after Trevor Lawrence. I'll take every one of them to go later than where they say the draft slot is. I love this. I love this. We we gotta, we <laughs> have to get some real numbers on this. we got to get some real odds-making talent working on this here and get you some markets that we can work on here because I love it. See, if – and here's the thing. if I hope everyone was paying attention when George was speaking. George was saying, essentially, this is what I got from him, that teams would rather reach a bit in the first round to get a rookie quarterback on that rookie deal rather than pay a guy, say, 8 to $14 million, who is in kind of that 13 to 20 range in the NFL. Without question. And he represents what is a philosophy that everybody at PFF is behind, which is the idea that you don't want to get trapped in a Jared Goff contract. You don't want to end up paying a mediocre quarterback. Right? You want to take a shot that you're going to get that guy who becomes the single most valuable asset in all of professional football, a top quarterback on a rookie contract. That's it. That's why the Cardinals are going after it as hard as they are going and signing J.J. Watt. They shocked everybody signing J.J. Watt. Well, guess what? They've got Kyler Murray still on the rookie contract. They can still build around Kyler Murray right now. Why wouldn't they go do it? It's why I'm so dead set against the idea of a Deshaun Watson trade. Yes, they had to pay him the second contract at this point, but they can still build a team around him, and they've just shown no inclination to do it, whether he was on his rookie contract or the second deal. So ultimately, I see where they're coming from to say, if you are stuck with Jimmy Garoppolo, if you are stuck with Jared Goff, you're in purgatory. What can you do? You're in the middle, and no one wins in the middle. Right, but that's not what I described. What I described is the 13-20 to guy 
at like eight to fourteen million a year and on like a two year deal. So who's the thirteen to twenty guy? You're talking about who, who's your guy? Ryan All right. So you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna, let me correct it. I'm gonna extend it out. Okay. Okay. All so right. now I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go like thirteen to twenty four. Right. So and the twenty four could be they could be pushing it a bit on some of these guys, and and I think some of these dudes would be cheaper. I would instead of moving up and wasting draft capital on guys that I don't have confidence in, whether it's Trey Lance or Mac Jones, I would rather draft a quarterback a little later, keep my picks, and then have a bridge guy around in that range that I'm talking about, 6, 8, 10, 12 million. So we're looking at Jacoby Brissett, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tyrod Taylor, um, take take a super cheap flyer, on a Mitch Trubisky. I just I wonder if we're like we do every year if we're getting so gaga and by we I mean are the actual NFL teams thinking this way? Are we getting so gaga over the quarterback desperation that you're going to give up draft capital to move up and get a guy? And it could be at the end of the first round. We've seen teams do that, right? Give up a second or a third down the road or later in the draft to move up. Are we getting so crazy that we can't see that some of those mid-level guys in the NFL can actually be effective for us for a couple of years as an organization? Which leaves you where at the end of those couple of years? Because there's only a handful of teams that I think can look at that situation that you just described, pay a mid-tier guy a mid-tier contract, right. and say, this makes sense for us. The Colts can do that. The Bears can do that. They have a roster that's win now in a lot of other places, and I've been the guy out here carrying the flag for Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston in spots like that for a long time. So, no, if you're going to ask me specifically about certain franchises – the Colts absolutely, before the Carson Wentz trade, which I think was a total mistake, should not have been out there trying to trade up into the number three spot in the draft to get a quarterback. But if you're a franchise toward the bottom, if you're trying to rebuild, if you're a team that's in the bottom half of the league, what's the point of bringing in a mid-tier guy? Because the guy you draft in the second round has a lot more chance of being Drew Locke than he has of being Derek Carr. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I get the desperation on some of these teams because when you don't have a clear picture, sometimes you can jump all over yourself, a clear picture of quarterback. So Philly, Detroit, even with golf, Philly, Detroit, Carolina, and Denver at 7 through 9, 6 through 9. It takes a lot of patience to go, you know, we can wait another year to go in the draft and get that guy. I want to point one franchise out in that, Denver. I think Denver is a team that could be in that Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jameis Winston class too. I think they could exhibit the kind of restraint that you're talking about. That's a team that has a roster that can win if you put an average quarterback in there. I I think that team is being wildly undervalued going into next year with the amount of guys that they had out on IR last year. Ooh, spring training games uh, starting up this weekend, last weekend, and we're getting highlights. We're getting into the Dodgers, and uh, let's talk a little bit about one of their uh, stud acquisitions, the stud acquisition in Trevor Bauer. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Now back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. So, Candy, just to close this chapter on quarterbacks in the NFL draft, I think what you're saying is you believe from what you're seeing that a lot of these quarterbacks are going to go in the first round. You don't necessarily love all these quarterbacks, right? Like, they're not first-round values for you, are they? The value changes with the quarterback as compared to every other position. But to say I love all five quarterbacks as prospects, 
No, I don't think any of us would say that, right? I think that there are skill sets that teams are going to talk themselves into that they say to themselves, okay, where is the floor for this guy? Where is the floor for this quarterback we bring in on a rookie contract? And if that floor is reasonably close to the guy that they have, then they're going to bet on the upside of the one they haven't seen versus the one that they have. So we got news in that, uh, yes, it's finally happened. Dak Prescott, according to Ed, that's actually, it was a release from the Cowboys, Ed Werder speaking right now, but uh, the Cowboys had a release just a few minutes ago. Uh, Cowboys agreed to terms on a new contract with quarterback Dak Prescott. Further info and details will be released at a formal press conference announcement on Wednesday. There's not a whole lot to say without seeing the terms because that's really what the DAC contract comes down to because it took so long, Candy, to hammer this out. The franchise tag deadline is tomorrow. Are you on the side of some people out there who say, you know what, the tag ain't a bad thing for DAC or wouldn't have been a bad thing for DAC because then he could have gone the Kirk Cousins route? And then you're a 100% free agent. Too risky after the injury? The injury shows you exactly why it's so risky. You know, if you're Dak Prescott and you don't come back from injury, then you would love to have had a contract that extended a lot farther into the future and had a lot bigger guarantee than a one-year tag. Now, whatever terms we're going to hear, right, we're going to hear, I don't know. Well, they're coming out They're they're coming out with them now. Uh, according to ESPN, it's four years and 160 which means nothing unless, you know, we find out like 120 is guaranteed. Um, if it's $30 million guaranteed, then that deal sucks. So the guaranteed money is really what counts the most. But right now they're saying four years, 160, so an average of $40 million. Interesting. Interesting. We'll see how much of it's guaranteed. On the franchise tag thing, man, I just wish for Dak, and it's a damn shame he got hurt, after Jerry Jones jerked him around for so long, I think it would have been awesome if he had said, you know what, I'm not signing a deal, franchise me, and he had played out this year, and then he could get away from the Cowboys and take advantage of, I mean, we're talking about a feeding frenzy for quarterbacks in the draft. Can you imagine if Dak Prescott had a good year this year and then is free and clear? He can go anywhere he wants. I just wish it were baseball where there were a true free market where we could see really what a guy like that might be worth as opposed to a salary cap environment where it's restricted to some level because Dak Prescott would have been underpaid even at 40, 50, however many million dollars he ultimately got. And you're right. What I was starting to get at was the guarantees and the contracts are probably going to be far less than whatever the total number we see reported is. Let's let's think about this more because I've got some more stuff on this. But the big ticket free agent in baseball, and there were a bunch of them, and some of them made out okay, right? The middle class right now is just screwed in baseball. Bauer signed a really interesting deal. He's got opt-out after opt-out. I don't think he's going to wind up opting out. How do you think it's gone so far with Bauer in the, <laughs> the start of the baseball season here? You look annoyed. What you can't see <laughs> at home is my Michaela Maroney on the metal stand look right now, which is go. just greatly unimpressed look starting pitching clearly is going to be the most valuable commodity in all of sports when it comes to the free agent market because if you add up what trevor bauer got in that deal plus what the dodgers are going to pay in the luxury tax for having him 
They are paying $50 million right now for a pitcher that they did not need. They absolutely did not need. If they have an injury, you bring in Dustin May. You rely on Julio Urias. You go any way that you want in that organization. But, okay, so they spent the money, and they bring in Trevor Bauer, a guy who, if you don't know the history with Trevor Bauer, there's a fantastic Molly Knight piece in The Athletic that is worth reading that delves into a lot of the shady parts of Trevor Bauer's character. But we don't have to. We don't have to dive in. He did it for us this spring. (laughs) He went out there in a spring training game this weekend and talked about how he pitched with one eye closed. Oh, Trevor, you're so much fun. You like to show us just how smart you are. You like to show us just how much better at this you are than everybody else. And then he get out, got out there and talked about how, well, it's something he does from time to time in his bullpens and this and that. But prior to last year, when you won the Cy Young, you hadn't put up a ERA lower than four in six seasons. It looked like you were out there pitching with one eye open. So why are you insulting everybody like this? Why are you insulting the game? Why are you insulting the people who are paying that $50 million by going out there and screwing around and then making light of the whole thing? I don't get it with this guy. I don't get the constant desire to be the smartest guy in the room when he is damn well proved for the better part of a decade that he's nowhere close to that. More on Bauer coming up. If uh, you want into the Cofield and Company inner circle, well, it's all about trust. And that's why uh, when we have legal issues on the show, uh, myself specifically, need legal advice, I turn to my guy Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. We value you guys, the listeners, so uh, we're never going to recommend just some uh, jabroni to handle important legal issues. There's no one better in Vegas than uh, Justin and uh, Matt Hoffman and the team at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you're facing a tough situation, you got legal questions, get them on the phone. Justin or Matt, anyone else at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. It's 570-9000. The football frenzy is coming up. We'll get into uh, what the Dak Derby ending means for Russell Wilson. And uh, we've got a big-time media member, or so he says, giving us some real clarity on Russell Wilson and this whole trade rumor stuff. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.